Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'll take you for a ride on the devil's ship. I'll take you for a ride where you sink or swim. Now come with me and let this start begin. Josh Shapiro. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, let me ask you. We were going to talk about it before, but I want to have your opinion. One of my fears during, you know, this revolving lockdown situation was that our open mic scene, all the people that were getting good, they were getting comfortable, they're going to start losing rhythm. And right before we went on air, you said the same thing. You said you felt it, that you just lose the rhythm and some people didn't even make it back the first from the first pandemic. Is that what you're seeing now? Do you feel a lot of people are getting discouraged I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of people in the open mic scene that were really excelling before the pandemic just get in their head now since and when you're not on stage talking for more than like three days it affects you yeah if you're not grinding through your week it's gonna make you perform worse going 10 months without performing is like restarting almost it's not like riding a bike That's comedy not is not fucking riding a bike not at um, all. and I'm seeing some guys that I really really thought were Top tier open micers, you know. I know top tier open micers are weird. I know what you mean. You say. mean one opportunity away from starting their own thing, yeah. Yeah, and you know whether it's they're paranoid about the pandemic in general, or just being out of the game and not being able to get back in. Because getting into a groove is the hardest thing, and when you get back up there after ten months of wanting to do it and you fucking bomb, to get back up, you're like fuck, like I lost everything I fucking worked for, you know. Yeah, and I'm seeing a lot of people like that, but. On the fucking positive side, I'm seeing a lot of new comics. Okay. More new comics than I've seen. More comics in the city than I've seen in English ever. Since Every I, time well, we open years. up. Every time we open up and from a new lockdown, there's some people that come in like, you know what? I've been thinking about doing comedy. Yeah. yeah. They just watch podcasts the whole fucking, you know, lockdown and then they came out. But that's why I'm lucky. Because even the first one, I'm telling you, if I didn't have the podcasts, when we got back... I was already, I was rusty, when we, but I was not as rusty as everyone else because I've been talking the whole time. I had an outlet. So it was a huge luxury for me that I didn't realize until I started doing stand-up again. I was like, oh, fuck, okay. I started seeing my friends. I was like, okay, because I've, I haven't shut the fuck up in all these months I've been podcasting. I still have a bit of the rhythm. Well, yeah, and it, it just the the way you're talking on a podcast is at least you know a comedian's podcast is going to be sort of similar yeah. to the way you would talk. So you know, I'm sure you got a ton of premises and shit from just being on the podcast, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, for me, I didn't know what to do uh, when we shut down. So right before the lockdown, I think the city shut down on like March 15th or some shit. March 12th, I had the biggest show that I had ever put together since I started. I'm three years into comedy. I'm saying biggest show ever, but for you, very yeah, important the biggest show, yeah. Akash Singh came to town. And I messaged him and I asked him if I could open for him at the Nest. And he was like, they won't let me pick my openers. Yeah, they won't let me. But I'll do a show if you have a show. And I was like, I'll do a show. Like, Akash wants a show. I'm not going to not do a show. So I hit up an owner of uh, Speakeasy. And I was like, yo, could I put a show together next week? And he was like, yeah. So first time, like, I do a show and sell tickets on my own. I sold out. Fucking amazing. Great lineup. He came through. Very cool to like meet a comedian that like I've watched online and like look up to. You this know? was the Friday. This was the Thursday. 
This was Thursday because on the Saturday we had recorded with him two drink minimum. Okay. And that was as soon as the episode was over is when I had called David to be like, are we doing this? Because everything started shutting down. Yeah. And he's like, tell him to come here, get his money. And Cross the border before they shut everything down. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. well, one hundred percent. That's what. Yeah, because I remember that Saturday show. They had to. They didn't do the Saturday. No, show. no, they canceled from then, and he was like, "Okay, I'm gonna get the fuck out of this country." Yeah, because he showed up to the show, and he was all paranoid because he got a call that New York was locking down. So he's like, "Am oh, I gonna yeah. be stuck in this fucking stupid French city?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I can't speak French. Yeah, <laughs> no, he was. He was so fucking. It was. It was kind of funny at the same time. But yeah, so then for the first month after that, we locked down, dude. I didn't wear clothes for a month. I fucking just was... You gave up. Yeah. It was all over. I was eating Uber Eats all day, every day, fucking naked, just getting stoned, just a terrible time, you know? After a month, I went up north with uh, the family, you know? It was good to spend some time with family, and I decided, okay, I need to do something. You know, I can't just fucking give up. So I decided I would start streaming on Twitch again, because that's something I had been doing, and uh, I've always been a gambler. I have questions about this. <laughs> so, Not about you gambling. Yeah. I, I grew up with mostly degenerate gamblers. Uh... I didn't know that what you did was a thing. As far as I'm concerned, you're the only one who does this, but it can't just be you. It's probably a lot of other people. You Twitch stream digital gambling, which I didn't know was a thing to do, but legit gambling, not a game that you're not betting money. You're playing with real money, yeah. but you're streaming it. I didn't even know that was a thing. So I, I've always been, I, I went to go play poker on my 18th birthday. I've been okay. a gambler since fucking day one. And when the pandemic started, I was like, this is my chance to try and be a pro poker player. And I looked into the poker scene on Twitch and it wasn't doing well. Very hard to build a following. You have to put a delay on your stream. Because if you're streaming poker and someone can watch your stream, see your cards, they're on the same table as you. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So you're live on Twitch. You have a five-minute delay. It's very hard to interact with people. And that's the best part of Twitch. The second-to-second -second interaction with random people from around the world. Yeah. So I, I ended up finding the fucking slot section. And as a gambler, slots are the lowest form of gambling, in my opinion. However, you don't need a delay on that. No. Yeah. So it's beautiful. So I started, and the first stream I did when I got back to the city from up north, I put in 100 bucks, and I made five grand. And I was like, this is meant to be. I have a bankroll now. Let me give this a shot. And I tried it, and then that's just what I did for the rest of the pandemic. So right now, are you still up? Uh, I, I'm not up gambling. No, no, no. Uh, stream gambling. Since that initial 100 bucks... Are you, would you say you're up? Or? No, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm down. I'm down like, dude, dude, no. I got my deal. So I, I got hooked up with a casino and, you know, I partnered with them. I got my deal. Aside from the deal, take away the money I get paid. I'm yeah. down like 30K. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, But no, no, no. But it's okay. But I get you, paid you, well. Yeah, you, you're seeing it more as you're building something. Exactly. Good. And, Good. dude, I get to gamble for free. I oh, yeah, get paid true. to gamble and it's what I love to do. Yeah. So for me, it's like just the best thing in the world, you know? And it goes to something. And now I'm using my Twitch stream for comedy. I'm doing uh, at the, the third floor where you came by. Every Tuesday yeah. night, we do a live stream show. So open micers come through and we live stream the open mic. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Just so they could build an audience too. Because someone's going to see, let's say, an open micer they like. Like, who the fuck is this guy? Can I follow him somewhere else? Yeah, I got people from fucking like Ontario and shit that watch me. They're like, oh, I'm going to come to Montreal. I want to see this show live. This is good. So it's like, not everyone wants their shit online. But when you're an open micer, no, no, when you're, no, look, you're going to do whatever. I, obviously, you don't want your shit online. You're going to tour with it. You're going to take it. But if it's shit you're fucking around with anyway, and you don't care, put anything you can online. If you're not married to it, like, I won't put stuff online now that I know I want to record my album and have them on. Because it would be stupid. Yeah. But shit that I don't care about, fuck, if you have stuff that you don't care about, put it online. Get some kind of exposure. Whether you like it or not, everything is dictated by the internet now. People 1, see you on the internet. That's what, that's what this is. This is a billboard. The podcast is a billboard for me and for the guests. 
people that either know me or don't know me or know you or don't know you, they see it, they like it, they follow you on your other stuff. For example, now someone's like gambling on Twitch. I love gambling. Who the fuck is this guy? Let me go watch that. You you have no choice but to be online. So whatever you can put out there, bro, get 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 your fan base. And then you eliminate control from the old gatekeepers. I've been trying to say this 1, to comedians 000%, here. 1,000%, man. That's the only way in Montreal. You have to. Well, I, I have no more need of a gatekeeper to tell me, hey, you're in, come perform at this club. When, when we go to other cities, when we, it's just, I have my fan base. I'll book a spot. Yeah. And I'll go perform. Like, that's fucking beautiful. That's the dream. That's what, It was know? accidental. I didn't know. I, when I started doing it, I just love podcasting. And I like talking to people. I love this shit. It's a few years into it when I realized, I go, wait a fucking second. Why do I need someone to approve me going to X city? If I have enough people in that city and they want to see me, I'll just fucking rent a, a room myself. Yeah, 100%. Cool. And But the thing is, is that you do it because you want to do it. And that's also why it's so good. You know what I mean? With me, with the gambling, I love gambling. So it just shows that like you could do anything on the internet that you want to do and also still do stand-up comedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't need to be doing... There's some people who do serious shit online but then are also stand-up comedians. And it's just two different things, but a way of getting more people to see who you are and what you have to say. Yeah, it's, and, these are all billboards for us. And there are people in the open mic scene that tell me it's impossible to no, make no, no, it in no, Montreal. No, no. And I'm just like, dude, you're not trying hard enough. You're, I, not, you're not trying to give yourself a good chance. I will say one thing. On the English scene, it is a lot harder. I've been around since 2012 in the comedy scene, and I've been podcasting since 2010, but it is a whole different beast. You don't have the same outlets you do in French. And in Montreal, as opposed to other cities in Canada or North America, there's what there's one club now. It's yeah. what do you even if you'd get even if you're past the comedy nest, you can't make a living just performing at the. It's impossible. No. It is very difficult here. I, I agree. That's why you have to think outside the box. That's why the internet is your best friend. You have there's no if you don't use the internet, there's no way you can grow here. Yeah, you need to use the internet. So I get them. It is harder, and the the way to get around it is unorthodox. The way to get around it is platforms that didn't exist before, Twitch. Yeah, YouTube. All, you need to. Well, you, I mean, okay. If you look at a scene like New York, yeah, you have all these guys that are looked at as the best comedians in the world. Blah blah blah. New mm -hmm. York's the best scene in the world. These guys live like fucking bums for so many years. Yeah, you have to fight here in Montreal. You get to live like a king as an open micer compared to there. You know compared what I mean? Compared to there, yes, dude. You're you're fucking. You, you're making twenty five bucks a show. You're living like a king here. You know, it, it's. You know the difference is here. You could spend your entire life though doing that, and there's not going to be like a crazy. You're not going to get a late night spot here, like at a show, no. like a late night. That's the problem is that there you could suffer, become better and better, and then you become undeniable. And whether it's your own fan base or you get picked up somewhere, you can make a living. Whereas here in English, there's not that many outlets. No, you can literally spend your whole you life. You have the internet. Yeah. So if you, you can you stay here and live like, like not, you know, struggling for 10 yeah. years, you could do that too. That's another option as well. But you can live here, live a normal life, save your money, you know, and if you're trying to build a fan base online and you actually get something and you've saved money from living here, yeah. then move to New York, move to LA, go somewhere and don't like have to live in a car for exactly. fucking 10 years, you know? That it, was one of my fears. When I started doing comedy, My I, it never occurred obviously, but I, it scared the shit out of me because the way it was told to me when I first started was the old road comic way. The only way to make it is, you know, you get good enough to middle, then you start middling across the country, you drive from, and I was like, never be home, right? You're always in a different motel. I was like, I don't want that. I don't want that at all. Yeah, like fuck that would suck. I'd rather fly to places and fly back, or, or drive to places and drive back. I don't want to leave and come back three months later. And then you saw that no, it's possible to do what I want to do. You just said, take some time and you build your own fan base, and then you create your own opportunities. 
Because if you wait for these people, they're just gonna send you to every, these shitty clubs in the mountains. You know, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you know, you go, yeah, you, and you lose money on the weekend. You know, you drive there, you spend the money on gas, food, whatever. I've heard those horror money. stories. And I go, yeah. why do you still work for them? We're the only ones. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. And that's just, you know, that's the one benefit of being in Montreal is that you get to, you know, live a more comfortable life. You know, yeah. many open mic comedians are living fucking very rich lives here in Montreal. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say rich, but maybe, maybe you know better than I do. Compared, compared, compared to, yeah, compared you know, to other cities. And uh, I just think it's the only way if you're, you know, even, even if you're in New York, so many guys that are doing it for years, respected by everyone, but they don't have anything online. So there's nothing to give them. Yeah. Guys want to help friends. You know, comedians want to help. If I blow up, I want to help all my friends in Montreal, you know, blow up too. But if they're not doing anything online, what can I do for them? Yeah, how can I help? Yeah. Exactly. We'll give you a spot on a show with 50 people. These 50 people see you tonight. They don't know who you are. They're not necessarily going to follow you on Instagram or whatever, you know? No, no, you're, you have... A- you make a very good point. It's a compelling uh, argument. I've been saying it for so many years. I've been trying to get people to start podcasting. I've been trying to get comedians here to do anything online. Uh, I have like Harrison, who's great on Twitter. So good. But he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do podcasts. Doesn't want to have his own. He thinks he's not good on them. I don't know why. Because he, if you let Harrison talk and you just Harrison's fucking very entertaining. Yeah, I've known Harrison since we we're thirteen. Okay, oh, he was really? at my bar mitzvah. Okay. Harrison has been like that since he was fucking 13. Okay, yeah. probably before, dude. The first conversation I had with him, we were sitting next to each other in class, first day of high school. I wanted to make a friend, you know? So I bring up the NFL. I don't watch football, but I bring it up just to try and make conversation. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, I like the CFL better. And then just turns away. This <laughs> 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 fucking guy, you know? And like, that was the thing that I knew this guy was fucking hilarious. He's, and- <laughs> oh, he, he's such a funny fucking kid. He's a good guy too. Yeah, um, he's just—he's said it to me before. He's not confident yet, and I think that that's what makes him so good. I see so many people who aren't as good as him, including myself, and I'm so confident because that's what I got. You know, it's a mix of—it's some in between. We've had this discussion many times because he—he gets to consume a lot of comedy because of me. He comes around, so he gets to see a lot of stand-up. Yeah, because there are times I'm like, nah, fuck, I didn't like my set, or I'm a little nervous about this. And he's like, this is crazy. He goes, I'm seeing you get laughs and lose confidence. And then I see people fucking bombing and they're like, you saw fucking amazing. He goes, I don't, I don't understand if it's a mental disorder. And I think it's a balance. You get to a point where you're just confident enough to do well, but you're just insecure enough to always want to do better and you're never happy. Yeah, 100%. We need that balance. I think if you're overconfident and you think you're God's gift to comedy, I think there's a steady decline after that. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you first start, first couple sets, you're looking for one or two laughs. Yeah. You get those one or two laughs, you're happy, you know? But if you're a normal person and you're taking comedy seriously, you get to a point where you have a killer set, you can't go back from that. You know what I mean? Going back to mediocre laughs will never feel, you get 30% laughs, you're never going to feel good about, you know, your set. And the people who really do just go out and bomb and bomb and bomb. And they're like, yo, I'm ready. Give me, give me this paid spot on a weekend. People are like, what are you, like, are you delusional? Do you not listen to yourself on stage? You know, like, that's the problem with open micers is that half of them are mental patients. Yeah. I've said this before. uh, Stand-up comedians in general, all fucked. But dude, the open mic scene is always crazy. You want to hear a mind fuck. So I've been doing a lot of French comedy with Mike Ward. So I get to perform in these big rooms and these crazy crowds. And already in French, the crowds are way hotter. Dude, you fucking hear it. Ask him to to validate. It's so crazy that sometimes I'll get back and I'll start doing English. And the crowd is fine. It's amazing crowd. And I think they hate me. It's like, fuck, man, there wasn't a lot of laughs. Like, what are you talking about? 
Because that was, but because I get so used to that, I think that's the pinnacle. A regular crowd seems like, oh, fuck man, I don't know why I'm not doing good enough. It fucks with your head. Yeah. So all these things, they, they, they add to the insecurities. Plus we're all mental patients. We're all a little fucked up. Yes. So it doesn't help. <laughs> but sometimes it happens. I remember when I was starting, I've said this before, um, and they're still around some of these people, but there's like career open micers or people who are just delusional. And I was always insecure. I'm like, am I them or am I going to become them? Like I have people who are in their 50s that just never popped off. They never got laughs. They're still at it. They think I'm going to break out. I'm gonna do I'm like, is that me? Or is that me in a couple of years? That used to scare the shit out of me. To not see a lot of success around you from your peers yes. is not good. Very difficult. You need people around you to succeed so you could see that it's possible. Mm-hmm. And then you could try to emulate that. And fi- When you feel like no one's going to make it or people, you start second guessing your, your decisions. And I think we have that trouble in Montreal because a lot of our good comedy, they leave. Okay, so I'm gonna. I don't want to go. Leave. I don't want to go too deep on this because I don't want to say anything bad. Okay, I love this guy and so fucking much. I gotta say, I'm not saying anything bad about people leaving. Yeah. I'm saying they leave for a reason because no, there's no, no. not a lot of options. I'm just. I'm taking a sidebar yeah. just to. I think that what you just said is one of. If you're not seeing success around you whatsoever, you don't even have. You can't fathom what it takes to get there. Yeah. So when I started, I got very lucky. Mike Mayo, for whatever reason, decided he liked me. Okay, and the reason I bring up Mike Mayo to you is because Mike he, Mayo told me about you. He's one of the first friends I ever made in comedy. Yeah, he is, yeah. and you know, he took me under his fucking wing, drive me home after open mics, pick me up, we would write together, whatever. You know, to fuck you. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but this guy, in my opinion, one of the best natural comedians I've seen doing comedy. Yep. Watching this guy and hearing about all of the people that he's met in his now almost 20 years doing comedy in Montreal and, you know, the path that they took and hearing the stories of all those people gave me a good idea of, like, the actual path, you know? So him telling me that he start, he saw you start and go into your career and start podcasting and start, showed me that it's possible in Montreal, you know? Also seeing him not take it seriously yeah, showed that was me that his that's thing. possible too. It was just that he, he, he'll he tell you that he was very lazy when it came to comedy. Because I've told him many times, he's one of the funniest motherfuckers. Yeah. Dude, some of his premises, a lot, just the way he talks, it's a funny motherfucker. If he went hardcore into it the way, you know, uh, like an athlete does with their training. Yeah. Dude, fucking Mayo would have, but it, I don't know. He's just, he was always a little bit lazier to do it because he's, the skill is there. The talent is there. I still think he's one of the, I still think he could come back now and if he puts 100% Dude, with, I brought I, I brought him out to the third floor he did a 15 minute how set how funny was he destroyed okay the room was shaking dude he hasn't been doing this regularly <laughs> in like 2-3 years bro <laughs> so imagine that's what I'm telling you imagine <laughs> yeah. if he was just fucking doing his thing for so he years. rolled out of bed killed 15 minutes you know like to kill for the 15 minute spot dude like after not doing comedy not for easy. over a year it's crazy you know he's, he has he's but very he good has, he has uh, he has uh, a problem that I've seen with some other people where he'll do comedy for some time and then it gets in his head like what am I gonna do with my life like I need a career yeah so I've seen some other people do this. They do comedy for a while and they're like, I need a job and they get a serious job. They want a career job, you know? Which I don't blame them for either. It's such a fucking thing. To tell someone like, be an open micer, don't get a fucking good paying job. That's a terrible thing to tell someone, you know? I think that that's what you need to do if that's what you want to do, you know? If you want to make it as a comedian, you can't take a career job and not focus on comedy. If you're a crazy person, you could stay up, you know, 19 hours a day, 20 well, hours a day, no I was problem. Doing for years, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing that for years, done. bro. Yeah. <laughs> so, how, how, when you started, you said 2010? Uh, 2010, podcasting? I started podcasting, and 2012, I started doing stand up. Okay. And the 2010, there were like 
no podcasts. No, it was very few podcasts. Um, I was a big old school talk radio guy. I was a big Opie and Anthony fan. Uh, I liked Stern in the beginning too. Uh, I was big on that stuff. And yeah. I just, and I loved c- comedians. I loved comedy. And I liked shooting the shit. Me and my friends growing up, this is what we did. We bust each other's balls and we were, t- so that, every time I would hear like that type of uh, humor on ONA, that was my comedy. So growing up, I was way, way more influenced by New York stand-up, New York way of being the busting balls, go fuck yourself, be real, all that shit. And I was heavily influenced in that. And I, I was never um, surrounded by the Montreal comedy scene. Yeah. I, I was kind of very distant. I didn't even think I could be a stand-up. I thought that's something other people can do. You can't do it. And then uh, I went on stage to open mic to settle a bet. And then my life, I got addicted and my life Damn. took a whole different... I was never trying to be a stand-up. I was told I should be a stand-up and I wouldn't take it seriously. Because you hear a lot of people, they go, you, you're funny, you should be stand-up. And they normally say it to idiots that should not be doing stand-up. I felt the same way. I thought my jokes work with you because I know you. It's not going to work with the general public that doesn't know me. And then... That's wild. That's what it was. And what year was that that you started? 2012. Okay. And then when I went on stage for the first time, I did an open mic. I did seven minutes at the Nest and the op- everyone was laughing. Yeah. Like everyone I was like, what the fuck? This is weird. Yeah. And especially my style wasn't like the, the short punchline. It was these stories. I was like, that's fucking, these people are into this? And then I just got addicted and it went up. But anyway, so I started uh, podcasting because I loved radio, talk radio. And we had spent, me and my friends, we used to make uh, little videos online and we wanted to do a show. But we were still young. It was like 2007, 2005. And we spent all our money. I had a camcorder. We added, and we made like a little pilot. We spent all our money on that and it sucked. We didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) We didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) Yeah. And we're like, fuck, no one's buying this show. It's shit. Yeah. So because we spent all our money and we were still creative guys, we need an outlet. We had no more money to make videos. I said, fuck, man, we could just shoot the shit. This will be fun. It'll be fun for us. Maybe some people will like it. So I invested in like a shitty ass $30 Logitech microphone and a laptop that I had and all that. And we started podcasting. Nobody understood what a podcast was. I understood what talk radio was. Okay, this on the internet. And we started, we had like for the first year, we had 12 listeners, the 4-H podcast. And then after year one, it started to become like 50. 100, 150, it got to like a thousand something at one point and they were like all over the world and we're like, oh, this is, you know, yeah. this is pretty impressive. And all that foundation that I had built with my friends and then I started the Pantales podcast after I started doing stand-up to just interview people, all that foundation, which I couldn't see going anywhere, ended up being the perfect thing I needed when I met Mike Ward. True. Which, that's why I'm saying sometimes you just got to build stuff. Yeah. Because when I met Mike, it was just random he saw me do stand-up he was there i saw and uh, we he messaged me the next day he's like hey man i got an offer to do this podcast would you do it with me and he needed a studio and i had a studio i was doing my I go, that's well, I fucking amazing yeah and i was already podcasting so all that shit that i put all, all those years of work that felt like it's going nowhere with nobody knew what a podcast was they didn't understand no all that work paid off i would say seven years later because about 2017 right when we met mike 2018 uh, yeah 2017 yeah so it took seven years for me to start reaping the rewards, the benefits of all that work that I put in. And we're talking about, I had invested money in the studio, I had invested money in equipment, all that. And it was going, like I, I had people listening, a few, but it wasn't anything big enough. It's like enough. if podcasting was Bitcoin, you got in under a dollar. I got in, yeah. <laughs> you fucking got in right away. You saw the Bitcoin, you were like, that's what I fucking want, you know? It's, it's just insane. And that's crazy. Also, and I got to say, your, uh, your silver Yeti, your silver blue yeti is the first yeah. mic i ever had you gave it to mike <laughs> yeah. mike let me use it that was the mic i started streaming on twitch with oh look at the fuck what a small world yeah it's fucking crazy what and i gotta small. say that uh, as an ona fan 
the fact that you went to Kumia's karaoke den and did karaoke with him, <laughs> you guys did fucking karaoke yeah, yeah, with yeah. Kumia yeah, yeah. in his fucking house, dude. We weren't good, though. Man, <laughs> I didn't know that him and Mike could both actually sing, bro, which made you. us look even worse, though. No, they loved the chat. I, I yeah, saw the, the whole chat band. had fun with it, bro, but, they loved it. but dude, the fact that both of them could sing made us look so. B- I was like, Jesus Christ. These- I, I thought they were fucking around. And then they both have voices, and I was like, these motherfuckers. Yeah. Because no, I, so I love I love music and I love singing, but I'm not good at it. I know what I'm good at. I'm not good at singing. I yeah. love it, but I'm not good. But that was yeah, that was an experience. That was that was to see that because I knew about his karaoke then, like specifically, you know. And the fact that you know you love the karaoke, the fact that you did it with fucking Anthony Cumia is insane to me, dude. Like, that was a good night. Yeah, that was a good fucking <laughs> night on Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> and the crazy thing about him experiencing all that is he does he didn't know who anyone is. He doesn't know who Cumia. Well, now he knows who Cumia is. Yeah. He had no clue who Cumia was. No clue about O and A. He keeps meeting people he has no clue about. Even at the comedy <laughs> store, he was meeting all these guys they see on Netflix. He's like, I think I know this guy. No clue who he's talking to. But it's the best because he just doesn't give a fuck. Doesn't give a fuck. But he's, he's like living. A person. Yeah, if he t- when he tells people who he met and what he did, like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And him, he's just like, I don't know who these people are. <laughs> they're, they're, they're friends. They're comedians. I don't fucking know. He doesn't. But he's having fun. He's having a great time. I'm sure. It's fucking, dude, to experience New York comedy like that is something that not many people get to do. I'm very lucky. I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate. Mike has given me a shit ton of opportunities. I'm, I know that I'm fucking fortunate, so I don't take it for granted. That's why I'm always working. I'm always trying to do something. It did motivate me a lot when that started with Mike. Like I was like, this is... Because it's just weird. It's kind of like what you said. To have people that you listen to for years, like ONA. I remember working at EA, and I was doing... When they were on Sirius, I was doing those free trials every week or two weeks, whatever it was, creating another fake email. Nice. It was a free Sirius XM trial, so I could always listen to them while I'm working, right? And I loved... I love that show. I love Louis C.K. on there. I loved everyone that was on there. Patrice O'Neill was one of my fucking heroes. The best. And experiencing that for years, and then I remember when we did the uh, Artie and Anthony show, well, that was when they announced there's going to be a new show on Compound Media, and it was Mike and I, just being there, and being like, what the, f- this is so strange. Just a few years ago, I was working, listening to this yeah. guy on Sirius, and now I'm here, I'm the new show on the network. There's a lot of weirdness in it. Like, sometimes you feel you're like, how, how real is this? That's the moment that you're like, wait, is this the Matrix? Like, that's when you're like, is this all fucking happening, you know? It is strange. Yes. A lot of it is very, very strange because you don't see it. You don't look at the work you put in. Like, you always think about the present day. So I, in my head, when I was there, I was like, wow, this is weird. Mike brought me here. We have a show together. I wasn't thinking about a decade almost of podcasting at the time. Now it's past a decade, but a decade of podcasting at the time, all the stand-up I was doing for years, I wasn't thinking about any of that. It felt almost like you went from point A to point B. Yeah. When in reality, dude, it was years of zero, years of no rewards, just you doing something because you liked it. And uh, but the, yeah. Okay, so it's the same thing. Comedy, like you got to build it slowly. Every time you add something to it, that thing's there and you keep making it 1% better, it gets yeah. a million times better. If you're like... Looking at comedy or stuff online, you know, uh, let's say me on Twitch, you know, I'll average uh, two viewers when I first start for a long fucking time. But those two viewers are two different people all the time. So it's two viewers, but they're all random different guys. Maybe I have a hundred different guys. At some point they start coming together. Exactly. And then when they all overlap together, now I'm at 10 viewers and I feel like I'm fucking getting there, you know? Now 10 viewers feels like nothing. And then same thing. As you keep doing something and showing that you're consistent, you know, Things fall into place. Things can't fall into place right away. So you need to believe in what you're doing or else there's no point in doing it. And nothing's going to happen ever if you don't believe in what you're doing. You have to believe. And now I know like the hard work does pay off. And I know that there's so much patience involved in all of this. 
because just where we started from, I don't know if Mike ever told you when I first started podcasting, he was on the original episodes of the 4-H podcast. He'd be one of the regular guests. We'd fuck around a lot. It was in my buddy Alex and Homer. It was in their basement. Okay. It was just in a basement and a shitty Logitech microphone in the middle and fucking six guys around just shooting the shit, yelling, talking. It was nonsense. But that was the, that that was our grassroots, right? That was the beginning. We were just setting the pieces in, in motion. We didn't know at the time how big podcasting was going to get. We didn't know the opportunity was going to give some of us. We didn't understand it, but we were just having fun in that basement. Then from there, uh, we gradually moved up to, uh, I think, my laundry room at my old building. We did a couple episodes there. <laughs> then I got my place on uh, Cremazy. It was a little office that we turned to a podcast studio. And now here, which is fucking two studios. Yeah, fucking so awesome, man. To see that, like, there's no way that that, unless you have like tons of money, you could just fuck around. With, there's no way that could happen instantly. No. It needs to take a couple and of And I'm years. sure that when you started and you, you would fuck around with your friends, you would listen back to those recordings and oh. fucking love it and hear what was good and hear what was bad. You know, the bullshit that's inside jokes between you and your friends versus something that some random Global, person can yeah. actually listen to and all that shit. You can't do that if you're just trying to make money. You get into podcasts to try and make money, you're not going to listen back. You don't have time for that. You know what I mean? Not just that. You can't, if you're thinking about making money, you also can't be yourself because you can't swear. You can't talk about serious yeah, topics. Exactly. There's all kinds of, and the but the money comes down the road because like I said, you use it for different things. So us, obviously we get advertisers sometimes and there's money in that, but there's also, it's a billboard. So the money's going to come when you do live shows or people like your stuff like us, we have a Patreon. So people are like, you know what? I want to subscribe. I want to get exclusive shit and I want to support the artists that I like. Yeah. So you don't have to succumb to mass media and the general public in order to make it. If you're good at what you do, you carve out your own little niche and you you make it there. And you're happier that way because you have real fans that get you. You're exactly. not trying to transform into something that uh, this person will like. But in real life, you would never talk to these people. Our fans, when we meet them, they're people that we could talk to. They're people that will stay an hour after the show and will just shoot the shit. Yeah, because they actually know you. There you go. I actually have heard real things that, you know, uh, I, I just went to uh, Skankfest in November. And that was Skankfest South? Yeah. Oh, I didn't fucking know you went to Skankfest. To see the fucking fans there and that everyone is really like, when you think Legion Skankfest, you think it's going to be a filthy fucking mess of. No, not me. You know, <laughs> I know. Terrible, that. you know, but they're just the greatest people ever because we all just love comedy and we all just love this thing together, you know? So, sidebar on that, since, since you brought up Skankfest and you like to talk about hard work. So, Louis J. Gomez and the rest of that fucking crew. Yep. The way they started, okay? First of all, the way they started the Skanks. And then now, the network, their own fucking festival. Do you think that was done on a whim or without hard work? They made fucking sacrifice. Dude, Louis J. Gomez was even told a lot of times, like, ah, he's not good enough. Should he be doing this, all that? He's still told that. The, he's still told that now. He has his own fucking network. <laughs> yeah. The guy pulled the finger to the industry. <laughs> yeah. He, did, he has this festival. It's going to grow. He's going to have another one. Guys like that. So I tell people, if you're going to look up to someone in comedy, these are the kinds of people, whether you like their humor or not, I personally do. They're my kind of fucking people. But even if you don't, look at the work ethic. Dude, you can't go wrong. If you love something and you put that much work into it, you're going to get the rewards. And these guys, they sacrificed a shit ton. No, it's like this guy, Lewis, does not stop. Doesn't fucking he stop. He does not do... Also, like I saw him at Skankfest too. You're perform When you're performing, you don't want to be working and mm. getting tired doing like work. This guy had to run the entire festival while also fucking performing, podcast, stand-up, whatever... And it's like people... But that's why he's never going to be anyone's bitch. Exactly. Because he puts in the work his, for his own things. Like, I'm going to grow my own thing. Yeah. Fuck you. I could either be super tired, work 100 hours a week for me, or work the same time for you. Fuck you. I'm going to work for me. Yep. One of the funniest things that they said was uh, they, were, they were at the roast of Lewis. They were like roasting Big J for not writing jokes. And uh, they were like, dude, 
David Lewis careers is catching up to your career. And it's true. And it's not, <laughs> it's a roast to him, but it's just Lewis's career is becoming a career that people dream of. You know, the amount of money that these guys are making, first of all, is insane. And again, from not robbing anyone for, for fucking putting in work, putting yep. in products that people want to buy. And because they did it all themselves and they don't have anyone taking any money out of their fucking business. Yeah. So the, I always put that as a sidebar. Some people, they don't know who the skanks are. And they're like, dude, if you want work, if you want to look up to someone, you look up to these guys for at least the work ethic. At least the fucking work ethic, bro, mm -hmm. to build that shit. You're telling me it's not impressive? You've been in the comedy game a couple of years now. Yep. You think that's not, especially in New York, you think that's not fucking impressive? One of the most Im impressive uh, things that I've seen in comedy the past couple of years is Luis J. Gomez, Gas Digital, building all that shit, betting on themselves, all that. Dude, that's one of the best stories, and you don't see in the mainstream. They won't talk about it, no. but that's huge. No, they'll talk about how they're fucking Nazis, but they won't talk yeah, about yeah, how yeah, they're yeah. fucking, you know. Yeah, two Jewish guys in the Puerto Rican. Bunch <laughs> exactly, of yeah, get yeah. the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, but no, and I'll be honest, the reason I got into comedy was because uh, I was running a medical marijuana franchise. Okay? okay, I'm 24 now. I was 20 years old running a medical marijuana franchise. Pretty badass. Um, I got lucky. Uh, I, uh, I've been in a relationship now nine years. Okay, my girlfriend and I, you know, been together forever. It was long distance for a while. Her sister was supposed to be opening up a weed farm. Oh, cool. So I was going to move to Portland, Oregon to go work on this weed farm with her. Okay. And my uncle, my uncle's a St. Leo guy, classic fucking, you know, you're not fucking leaving your family. Yeah. <laughs> he went up to my girlfriend. He's like, you're not fucking taking Josh away from us. If anything, you're staying here. He was like, yeah. I'm going to open up a weed place. So him and his partner, they had already been talking about it. It was a thing. That he didn't just make it up on the spot No, there. no, but it was a thing, and then he found his, uh, his opening with you. Exactly. Yeah. So they opened up a clinic, and I wasn't there at first. And when they brought me in, they didn't want me to be there. The uh, partner doesn't want to bring in his partner's nephew because then maybe he thinks he has to be nice to this kid or whatever because it's someone's family. So they were very hard on me at first, which made me really good. The guy who trained me there was a classic St. Leo guy, just, you know, like on CSST, like fucking doing cash <laughs> jobs around, you know. <laughs> And it made me have to learn this business like crazy. And, you know, then I turned 21. I'm 21 years old. And I have all these people looking to me for, like, serious shit. I'm talking to doctors. I'm getting people medical prescriptions. I'm talking to licensed producers. And then it hit me one day. I was sitting there one day. And I was like, is, is this what I want to do? I saw, like, 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line. I was like, am I going to just be sending paperwork around? Like, yeah, it's weed, but it's not weed. It's paperwork at the end of the day. Yeah. And I was listening to Joey Diaz talk about getting into comedy after fucking quitting crime, you know? And just bombing and going out to open mics and then making it work. And I was like, what if I do that? And then I went to an open mic and that was November 4th. By December 1st, I quit the clinic and I said, I'm going to be a comedian. And I have not looked back since. Good. Because I believe if you can hustle in one aspect of life, you can hustle in comedy. You could. This is all a hustle. You ha Anything that's given to you and you're not hustling, you won't enjoy long term. Because if it's given to you most of the time, even a great job. Like I had opportunities before before I said, fuck it, I'm doubling down on podcasting. I had a good job, bro. That's the truth. I had a good job and I had good opportunities to continue that. But I knew mentally it wasn't for me. I wanted to do this stuff. I was happier doing this stuff. So much fun. So much fun. It's more work than I've ever done. No, I'm yeah, always 100%. working. I'm always working. You don't but get a break. I don't get a break, but I'm fucking happy. Yeah. I'm making my own shit. It's just, there's, I'm, I, I, I've known since I started. I'm not going to be a Louis C.K. I'm not going to be a Dave Chappelle. But I'll be a Josh Shapiro. I'll fucking make... That's all you, you can know, do. If I get to make a good living and then also do stand-up comedy every day of the week or seven, six days a week, whatever... Yeah, you're living it up. The dream. 
You know, getting on stage for me, a lot of people, they say they like to get on stage. I like to make people happy. I get on stage for me. I like to get on stage, man. I, I do like <laughs> to make, I do like to make people happy, but only at like, if, if I have that connection, cause you can make people happy in different ways. Right. Yeah. The reason why I like stand up, and it's not, I'm not in it to make people happy. I'm in it cause I get happy, but I do like the aspect of you have a shitty day. And then I see your fucking face turn yeah. and you start laughing and then you get what I get and we have that connect. There's something about that and you don't think about it often, but when you actually sit back to think about this motherfucker doesn't know me. This guy might have gotten dumped. Who the fuck knows what happened this week? But I just broke him and he yeah. started laughing and I for those fucking that minute, that 15, 20 minutes, a half hour, whatever it is, this guy forgot about his bullshit. Yeah. For that half hour, me and him shared, me and them shared that one thing together. It's bro, isn't this fucking stupid? And we laughed about it. That we like not to talk about it because it sounds like we're a bunch of pussies, but all comics, we know that because that's what we do. You're yeah. making, you love that shit or else you wouldn't do it. You love seeing someone laugh. I love 100%. seeing someone laugh. It's the best feeling. It makes me world. laugh. Yeah, 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 it's the best feeling. And it's like that, like that, like seeing someone in the crowd that's not happy and making them happy, that's good, you know? Yeah. When people are laughing already, like they're already, you know what I mean? They're fucking. They're, I like that one. Or you know? I even like to turn people. I like some yeah. people for being assholes to ruin their night. That's fun for me. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's, that's for me. So I like to fuck around too. too. Like, oh, dude. Okay. Uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick Hakim. Yes. Uh, never seen him because he hasn't been in Montreal since I've started. Um, he's OG Montreal. Like he's, he's an OG uh, Montreal uh, comedian. Yeah. He's in Toronto. And again, this is a sec. I talked to him now, uh, but uh, we didn't know each other when he was here. I think. Okay. I think what happened is as soon as I started was around the time that he left. Like I was unlucky in the sense that guys that I could have looked up to, one of them being him, guys that I could have, they were just bouncing out. So I think him, Faisal Butt, I just, Faisal Butt's another one of those guys that I got to see in the beginning. He was fucking funny too. Faisal's great, dude. Yeah, Faisal, really nice guy too. He, he went to Toronto also. So a lot of these guys, we just missed each other because I was an open micer. Even if I saw them, like who the fuck is this guy? Which I get, right? You don't, you're not going to know every open micer. Um, but Patrick Akim, you were talking about. I know he's just, one of the OG, uh, just an OG Montreal yeah. guy who, like, I've heard his name for a while. Never got to see him, you know. See an OG Montreal. He came. He did a set. He was here to see family. Mm -hmm. There was like a group of people talking, and his style on stage, from what I saw at least, is like a bubbly, happy style. He heard these two guys talking and just snapped into like a Spanish fucking angry man, you know, just <laughs> ripping into them. And it was amazing, you know, yeah. to see that, that's an amazing thing, too. I'm not necessarily there yet to fucking, you know, lose it on an asshole in the crowd and still bring the crowd back. You know, it's not easy, but it's fun. Yeah. I'll try, you know. I'll try. I'll, Sometimes I'll yeah. miss. Sometimes I'll get too aggressive with someone, and then it's it's impossible to get the crowd back. Yeah. Well, so for me, the, one of the things that helped me out the most in comedy is Grumpy's open mic. Ah, uh, dude, <laughs> it helped me out so much. Okay, they didn't want it to help me though. They didn't want me to do what I was doing. I would go into Grumpy's and try. There's no point to do your set at Grumpy's ever. There, okay, I'll tell you what Mike Mayo told me. So Mike Mayo, when I started, he helped me a lot to show me around what the rooms are, why people do stuff. So the reason Mayo was making me go to Grumpy's is because I started to have a lot of good sets at the Nast or wherever I was. And he goes, those don't count. Every time you get a good set this night, you feel good about yourself. Especially if you had a good set that night, you have to go to Grumpy's later on that night. I'm like, why? He's like, to bring you back down to reality. And that's what happened. You'd go in and be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. I might as well just be some guy that can't even speak the language. You either get yelled at or ignored or it's horrible, but it did serve a good purpose because no matter how good you thought you were getting, it'd bring you back down and be like, you suck. Yeah. And that made you work harder. 
Now, I don't rec- I think you need to do it once or twice <laughs> to understand the feeling, but some people might need it over and over again. I, I for me at least, it it was a place that I got to. I like places that I get to just do whatever the fuck I want on stage. You know? I just couldn't. You can't test. You could do whatever you want, you but you material. can't test because no. you can't do it. You don't know. You can have the best joke ever, and they'll still tell you to go fuck yourself. So yes. you have no idea. You can't. You can't. So I I've uh, developed like some more uh, crowd interaction skills from places like Grumpy's. You know. Yeah. Uh, my first set of grumpies broke me, like you said, you know. I had my first three sets, decent. Got laughs. Felt good, you know. Ammer, Ammer hosted the first open mic. He came up to me and said, you should keep doing this, you know. Ah, Ammer's a nice dude. Very, you know, feeling good about myself, you know. Went to grumpies after my first set at the Nest for my fourth set ever. I go up last, obviously. I'm there late. Four comedians sitting in the back. One guy sitting at the bar with his head down. And me get up on stage Full fucking open mic comedy mode, like oh, super cock. in the zone. Yeah. yeah, there's no like pullback. I, yeah. I'm not aware enough to be like, there's nobody in this room. Just fucking sit down on the stool and talk. You know, I'm up there just giving my fucking shit, like going hard. <sighs> I listened to the recording afterwards. I could hear the comics talking shit about me in the back of the no! room. No, bro. I went to the. I worked at the bar like two blocks away. I curled up in a ball on the ground, but it made me so much fucking stronger. Yeah, you you need moments like that where you're yeah. embarrassed and you're like, you know, I, I'm gonna pick myself up. Yeah, um, and then there's another time. One time, nobody wanted to go up first at Grumpy's, and I always went up last. So it was my opportunity to go up first. The reason no one wanted to go up first, the bar was the loudest it's ever been. Uh, no one gives a fuck. Yeah. Uh, host gets up to start. Nobody listens. He's literally on stage. Like, can anyone hear me? Huh? Hello? Dude, oh, I, went up, I went up and I was like, I gotta try something. So I just yelled, "Shut the fuck up!" At first, everyone stops, looks at me. And then just goes back to their conversation. Yeah, there, was, there <laughs> are some funny scenes in there. Like there, there are things to talk about. And I think the first place I ever saw Faisal Bud perform was there. I think it was the night that Mayo had brought me there the first time. He's like, oh, you got to do this. Yeah. And uh, and he was good. People laughed at And then I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, God damn, this is a room. He's like, it is a room. And then Mayo was trying to give me the lay of the land. Yeah. No, I do. It, it, Tuesday, it, it used to be, uh, so Sundays we would go to McLean's. Yeah. Um, and then Mike and I would head over to Brutopia for the music open mic. We would go do the music open mic there, and it would be terrible every single time. Wait, the music open mic? Yes. Explain. <laughs> We'd go to a music open mic and be like, hey, we're comedians. Can we go up? And they'd be like, all right, fine. Oh, so it's just musicians. <laughs> and you guys. Oh, fuck. There were no options. I needed stage time. There yeah. was nothing. You, you, know? you made the right decision, though. You need those. You need those under your belt. Dude, we'd have someone up there singing like a song about death that they'd get up, you know? One time, uh, Mike, uh, Mike has his uh, Bill Cosby joke, okay? Doesn't do the joke. Does the opening setup and says Bill Cosby's name. And some musician there, you know, holding your guitar, just looks at him and goes, I don't want to hear a joke about a rapist. And he's like, I'm not pro Bill Cosby. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she's just yelling at him and yelling. And there was just no way around it, you know? Like, that shit doesn't happen at a fucking comedy open mic. But, like, those types of interactions made good shows so much better, you know? You want to hear a funny uh, Mike Mayo story? He, I don't know if he ever told you this. He was booked to do an outdoor fundraiser show and it was something about animal cruelty. I don't know what the fuck it was. It was some some <laughs> okay. hippie shit. And so he goes there and he's getting pumped up to go on stage and right before he goes on, he show like a 10 minute video of animals getting murdered. Oh my God. And just the saddest shit ever and then literally how they bring him is like, all right, and now uh, to laugh about all this, uh, you know, Mike, so it made it look like he was just laughing about it so he gets on stage everybody's just like, Fuck this asshole! He's like, oh, <laughs> they were just looking at animals get beat up yeah. for ten minutes. <laughs> she gets up. These people are crying. He gets up talking about Italian poutine. You know, <laughs> it was something. Like, it was either that or cancer. It was either animals dying or they were talking about cancer. 
Brands. I forgot what it was, but it was one of those two. No, those, I don't understand why those types of venues or those types of events book comedians. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, I'll do it. In paying. the beginning, we would say we didn't know. We uh, like now I've said no to a lot of stuff because I know it doesn't make sense. And then for me, it sucks if I do it and the first time people see me like, yo, this guy's an, it doesn't work. Yeah. So now I know. But in the beginning, ask me. We would just say yes. Somebody's paying us to do comedy. Of course, we would say yes because we thought that's what you're supposed to do. And we've done some, especially because of Mayo, because uh, I trusted him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He would get me booked on some fucking random ass shit. Guaranteed, yeah. Dude, we went to Kanawaki. We went to all these. I remember doing bar shows with him, and they were just depressed. There was three people there. Well, he told me about that one where you guys got fucking uh, David Rained. Oh, dude. Sorry for mentioning a name, maybe. Oh, you're talking about, uh, yeah, yeah, dude. With Darren, uh, where Darren was hosting, yeah, and you guys finally had, put that show together. It was uh, a big show. And we lost money on it, even though it sold out. Imagine that. Yeah. So it was, oh, uh, dude. So yeah, we've been fucked over a lot, <laughs> but you learn. Like, you grow and you learn, yeah. and you know who to work with, who to not work with. Um, and that was a fun fucking, apart from, like, our saddest memory about that show that you're talking about is the fact that we lost money. Of course. But apart from that, that was a great show, which we shouldn't have lost money. We sold out. But we didn't. Mike negotiated that deal, and he fucked us because he's a dumbass. Uh, but he meant well. Mike didn't know he was gonna get fucked. Yeah. We all learned at the same time, and that was fun having our little crew. Me, him, and Tenloins. We'd put up shows together. We'd do a lot. I learned a lot from both of them. Even though Tenloins started around the same time as me, we still learned from each other. And it kind of did make me sad when they both stopped, because I felt like ah fuck, those are my boys. I'm doing this with. Yeah. And they're not in it anymore. And. Then I just had to go alone and I got kind of stronger by myself. Cause 100%. Because I, I felt like, okay, well, now I'm not doing it just for myself. I'm doing it for the fallen homies. You know, I got to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, and I think it made me stronger, but it does suck. Like, I wish Mayo was back into it. I, I wish oh, Mayo yeah, was dude. in the same. And, and the thing is, is that also, I got to say, Mike Mayo doing very well right now. Dude, oh, dude, yeah, right he now. killed it in crypto. Fucking destroyed, dude. you know? Yeah, yeah. So coming back to comedy for him is like nah, maybe nah. in his head beneath oh, him he now, you know? He has way more success doing the crypto yeah, shit. Exactly. Should give me some fucking money. But he, no, no, I I just want him back but for he selfish has reasons. Something I like that, having him. He has something that not many people have, and it's really sad to see fucking, you know? He's naturally funny. Yeah. He it has it. ridiculous how he, good he is. He understood comedy. He understood stand up. He, I think he got in his head a lot though. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And for him to see people that started 10 years after him getting things and he's not getting things, you know, it gets in your head and it sucks, you know? For sure. Being in the same city, you know? But he's also, he's, he, anyways, just Mike Mayo come back. <laughs> that's it. Mike Mayo come back to comedy, man. That's, I think we can get him it. to agree. But yeah. I, you got him for 15 minutes. Where? When? Uh, third floor. I, when? I, uh, when I first opened. Yeah. We That's opened in September and I got him like right away. This motherfucker. Had I known, I would have come to watch him. Well, bro, I'll have him uh, definitely yelled at him. again. Yeah. Get off the stage, you <laughs> fucking bum. <laughs> Go trade your crypto. It was actually great because uh, I had some staff come to the show. It was one of the first shows we did and the staff wanted to come check it out. And the staff was having a good time through the show, but they're a bit more like degenerate than most people. They're not most fucking comedy crowds. Yeah. Mike Mayo went up. He was just making them fucking die, bro. And it was like, they got to go to the owners after and be like, that was a good fucking show, you know? So Mike Mayo actually cemented the fact that it's a great fucking room, you know? Yeah. And if it wasn't locked down right now, you'd still be doing weekly shows there, right? Dude, we're supposed to start renovations tomorrow. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, we might still start renovations this week. One of the guys got COVID who was supposed to start doing the renovations. So we'll see. We're still going to open as soon as the city opens, but we were planning on opening a comedy club in February. Now it looks like it's probably going to be March, April, you know, as long as you 
don't give up and you still fucking do it. Oh, they're not giving up. That room is, you know, the owners haven't used room. that room in a long time. It was a fun, I mean, me and him are planning, uh, once it starts up, we're going to start doing comedy shows too. Uh, I have a room in mind that nice. we're going to book. Uh, we don't know days yet. I want to do one in French, one in English. That's it. Awesome. And just bring comics on. I don't even have to be there. Like just to bring comics that I like on and they have shows. Give people a chance to fucking perform on a good show. Make some money. Like yeah. just have a good time. So, and I think we need more of those in, in the city. We Especially in English, we don't have that many. No. We don't have that many at all. And even me starting one isn't going to help that much, but it's an extra room. It's an extra room. It's a, it's, a, it's an extra night to do some fucking stand-up. Right now, we're really lucky because of Sid. Sid's putting on a show every single night of the yeah. week and multiple shows some nights. More English comedy shows than ever in the city. Yeah. Uh, but there could still be more. There's never enough shows to get on. You know what I mean? No, never. Uh, until we get to the point where we can get on three shows a night regularly some nights a week. That's going to be a while, buddy. I know. I know. You, these are the I'm dreams. A, I'm a dreamer, bro. Okay? I'm a dreamer. So right now, with what's your goal with the, the Twitch channel? You said you have sponsors, a casino? Yeah. So I'm partnered uh, with a casino. Great fucking casino there. So a lot of casinos, uh, you know, are shady. This casino is very upfront. They're all by the book. Um, one of the most upfront casinos I've seen. So I'm very, like down to work with them and send my viewers to them because if i ever send viewers to a casino that screwed them over oh you're fucked it'd feel uh, forget fuck nothing could happen but i'd feel terrible we had to say no to sponsors a few years ago because they were products that were like we'd look at reviews and we look at people saying like yeah some of these they fuck people over yeah and i was like i don't want to make 200 bucks today so that tomorrow one of my fans says yo this guy you know i lost 500 bucks to these people exactly. so you got to be very weary it's your name I, I get you i'm with you i like that you the, that you think like that. Especially in the gambling side of shit, you know, so many, you know, uh, I got I got to promote responsible gambling, first of all, so much, because gambling is such a, you know, slippery slope. thing. Yeah, exactly. So uh, other than that, though, it, it's great, man. I've been working with them for a while. They're uh, an up-and-coming um, casino. Like, since I started working with them, they were bought out by a giant company. Oh, nice. Which is great, because they're just getting bigger and bigger. Um, at the end of the day, do I know if I'll get a new contract when my contract's up now? No, no idea. But I've been able to build something partnered with them, you know? And I believe that even if I don't work with them, I'll be able to do what I'm still doing because I still have loyal viewers. I have, you know, a good following for the slot section. So is it similar to... Um like when Logan Paul and these other people that open up like Pokemon card packs, it's a similar type of thing where I'm doing this and, and, and the value of it is my uh, reaction to winning or losing. It's kind of like that, right? Yeah. Okay. Because then you could definitely build on that because already, like I said, the cards, the Pokemon cards, Magic cards, people want, like there's fan bases for that. Huge. So I could see it with gambling because I feel like the stakes are higher. So if you yeah. give a shit if somebody pulled out a fucking Charizard, you're going to give a shit if someone just won 5Gs or lost 5Gs. There's something more uh, risky about that. So there's like some slots that like, you know, people never see pay. So getting a hit on that recorded that people can then see so that they know if they go play that song, like this is possible. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like jackpots. If you never see a jackpot hit, you never feel like it's possible. So for uh, the other day, I have been streaming slots for a year and a half now. I've never hit a max win. Okay? That's disgusting. Max wins aren't that hard to get for the amount that I gamble. The other <laughs> night, I hit two max wins in the same night. And the clips of those max wins went around like crazy because everybody wants to see this new game, how it hits a max win, and that it's possible to hit a max win. So that's another aspect, you know? There's the entertainment that people want to see me get excited when I win big, but then sometimes people just want to see what a game can do. And it sounds crazy that I'm saying that there's some reasoning in slots. There's not. You're always going to lose. Because it's always random, and you lose always. more than you win. 
but some games are more worth your time to lose on because at least there's a chance it does something. So is uh, is poker is streaming the poker reactions? Is it as fun, or is there a fan base for it? Because I I would assume that yeah, poker like you said you can't do it fully live because people could cheat. If you if I can only see your reactions, it's fun, but it's not as fun if I don't know what everyone's doing around the table, right? No, it's because the thing is, is then it, it, you're all everybody watching is now invested in this one hand, and you're so it's like you're all playing this one hand together. There is something there, but if you look at how many viewers there will be at max in the entire poker section, it'll be probably like twenty five thousand. Okay. If you look at how many viewers there are max in the slot section, it'll be like 200,000. Really? So there's just that many more people that want to watch slots than poker. Why do you think that is? Because it's instant. You don't have to wait for a exactly. couple of hands. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's more degenerate. It's uh, more exciting. It's definitely more exciting. Poker, sometimes I'll play eight fucking hands at a time. You know, and you don't see anything for five hours because you're playing a tournament. You got to get to the end. It's a lot of fucking uh, grinding, grinding for a big payoff. You know, slots, you get big payoff every fucking 10 minutes. You know, it's it's also easier to do uh, content things with slots, tournaments. Because everyone understands it. Exactly. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. And poker is the kind of thing that like. Fuck, <laughs> you have to put decisions in, you know? You're trying to read chat and then make decisions that are worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Slots, uh, nobody could click a button better than I click a button, you know? <laughs> it's just what it is. Yeah, that's fucking true. I- I'm not into the, um, like, I love poker. I haven't played, I always prefer to in-person. I always worry about playing online so I could get fucked over. But I guess now all that shit's safer. I don't know. It, it wouldn't, uh, they make so much fucking money. Every so they time you they- enter something, they make a cut. So there's no point for them to ever rig it because they're a multi-billion dollar company. Okay. Um, they actually, the reason why I love Poker Stars is because Full Tilt Poker went under and stole everyone's money. Oh, fuck, did they? Yeah. And Poker Stars was like, we don't want the poker industry to get a bad name. So we're going to pay every single person that you stole money from, <gasps> but you're giving us your application. And whoever these fucking guys are, they're like, yeah, we just stole fucking millions of dollars. No problem. But now Poker Stars is a multi-billion dollar company because they got all of those players and all of that trust. That's crazy that they did. That's amazing. Yeah. Hey, great. It was a great investment on their end, you know? For a CEO to make the decision to pay out millions of dollars that you don't have to pay is crazy. It's completely absurd, but that's better than, that's the best marketing you're going to get. 100%. And I heard, I don't know if it's still the case, but I remember when online poker started to become a thing and Mike, I think, was playing. It was very hard to get your payouts. It takes a couple days. That's just what it is. Oh, that's it. But A the, lot of gamblers are impatient. Okay, okay. I, I remember that the process was a pain in the ass. You have to verify you're a real person just to prove that you're not one under 18, two from fucking uh, the states gambling illegally. Yeah, you yeah. have to show your ID and all that shit. But once you do it once, you're verified. They know who you are. It's your account. You're fine. Okay. Um, it's just that like gamblers, like gamblers, I've known gamblers who will win five grand, but have to wait two days to get their money and go into debt 10 grand because they know that five grand's coming. Oof, I know. I know. It's, it's getting your money quick is like the thing that gamblers want the most and not getting your money sometimes fucks with people's heads more than anything. Yeah. Most of the gamblers I know were and still are. Terrible decision makers, <laughs> yeah. big degenerates. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I broke my face playing poker when I first started. Uh, I went on my 18th birthday, and then I kind of lived there in Kanawaki at Playground Poker for years. I paid my rent with it at first, though. Oh, um, you were, at first, you were strategic. Exactly. Uh, did what I needed to do. I studied. Then 
I was, you know, uh, then I turned 19, I moved out, paying my rent, and my dad's like, look, you need a fucking job. What happens if you break your face? Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to fucking bail you out when you need fucking, you know, go get a job, play poker, do what you want to do, but go get a job. I'm like, okay. So I got a job, bus boy, still working, same place, Stogies. Um, good job making good money, you know? As a bus boy, you get good tips, yeah. especially, you know, good fucking restaurant, bar, whatever. Yeah. People actually have money and they tip, yeah. Exactly. So now since I'm making money from this, I don't need to make money to pay my rent from poker. So I'm going to play poker and just having fun. I'm going there. I'm getting Which free food, Which is the worst way to, to make money. Cause, Bro, yeah. <laughs> I'm 19 years old. I'm broke and I'm paying this chick to massage me. You know what I mean? I'm spending $100 on a massage with my clothes on. Oh, you know, God. like, because I, I don't have a fucking grilled cheese next to me. <laughs> and I'm, fucking, I'm just a disgusting animal. But that's, that's the feeling that I love. Is like, that's when it was really the most fun to me. Is yeah. when I go to fuck around. You know, when it's work, it's work. It's not going to be fun. You know? Uh... And that's why now I'm living the dream. I get to lose everything I gamble ever, and it, it won't affect me financially ever. You know, obviously it's better if I win. Oh. If I win, I make a lot of money. You know, I could have probably made a ton of money if I was smart about my gambling. But it's hard to be smart about slots. It's hard to be smart. It's easy to not be stupid. I've spent two thousand dollars on a, a bonus buy. You could have spent less. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I get it. You know, it's but I have profit. I want content. I want people getting excited. And I go, you know, I invest pretty much all of the profit I get back into the stream. And how, how have you seen your growth since the beginning to now? Are you seeing it steadily, hard to grow on Twitch? How are you seeing it? When I first started, if I didn't stream for like three, four days and I'd stream, I'd have zero viewers for like two hours, you know? It's hard to... To get, build something on Twitch, I was here. Yeah, you need Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, other shit, and I don't do any of that. I, I just fully go natural on Twitch because it worked out for me at first, and I believe that I can still do it. Now I'm starting. I have a guy who's going to put out YouTube videos for me and shit. Okay, good, good. I just can't put my energy into it because I'm focused on make, like I'm focused on doing the streams. I'll do a 12-hour stream. After a 12-hour stream wow. gambling, I don't have the mental energy to, to sit edit there videos. and edit the video and do all that shit. Um, and that's where I'm making my money anyways, from doing the streams, not from doing YouTube videos. So now... If I don't stream, I didn't really get to stream much November, December because I've been so busy with the club. I go live now, minimum 10 viewers. Just because I have these people who know who I am. They've seen me stream for two years now. They see that I'm consistent. They know if I go away for a week, I'll be back. They're not worried that I'm in a ditch, you know? When you're watching a streamer and the guy doesn't stream for three, four days, didn't say that he wasn't going to be live, you're like, oh, this guy quit streaming because you see so many people quit. Oh, just they give up. Yeah, man, it's tough. Especially slot streaming. I've seen a lot of people go broke, quit streaming, and just fucking, you know, never come back from it. And it, it's a very, it's a, it's a hard type of content to stay with, you know? Yeah, I didn't even know it existed until, mm. until I saw your videos. I think it was on Twitter or something. It was, I think you had made a lot of money or a lot. No, I think you made a lot of money. You had one. And I was like, holy fuck, I didn't know that there's a demographic for this. Like, I didn't understand what was going on. No, and it's crazy, man. Fucking slots. I would have never guessed it. Slots, I would have assumed, but slots, nah, never would have guessed <laughs> Huge that. Huge market for slots. I tried that market. It was not for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, oh, fuck. Okay. I actually, I, I, I legitimately did. Um, I like had a couple of girls who like wanted to do stuff online and I was streaming on Twitch already. I was like, if you are a female streaming on Twitch, you automatically get an edge mm -hmm. to what you're doing, yeah. you know? Tried to help all these fucking chicks out. They all work at the bar. They're all waitresses, and they all want to fucking. Were they any good on streaming? Media, you know, some of them, yeah. One of them especially, she was really good. 
But then all of them quit because it wasn't what they wanted to do and they didn't put in the work to do it, yeah. you know? So that was one thing that I realized is uh, I'm someone who always wants to build up other people. I realized that I need to stop doing that and build up myself. You have to build up yourself. And if yeah. other people want to join my ride to build themselves up through my ride, You're 100% cool with that. come along. I can't put my energy into other people anymore because they let you down. You can't let you can let yourself down, but at least you know that you let yourself down. I've been let down, let me tell you, sir, repeatedly. Yeah. It's just it's par for the course. That's what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. You just have to always keep moving forward. And, and you know what? It's shitty to say, but especially with comedians. We're all fucked up. We're all yeah. unreliable. Yep. You know? When I say all, obviously not all, but you know what I mean. Well the it's ones just, that make it are normally reliable because they're yeah. working. But I've had a lot of friends in comedy, I still do, that have just been unreliable and either late or don't show up, don't put in the energy. And then that's kind of when your path starts deviating. Cause at one point you're like, fuck no, man, I can't do this anymore. I got, if I'm putting in the work, I'm expecting you to put in the work as well. This isn't going to work. Yeah. And then it sucks because you have your friends who you like, who then will mess with you business wise. And it gets in your head and you're kind of like pissed off at this guy, you know? Yeah. And that's why for me, I try and stay away from all business with comedians that I can. I'll never uh, produce a show with another comic now. Just because they're potential problems and I don't they want are problems. Potential problems. We're, I told you we're all fucked in the head, just that we're all fucked in the head differently. Yeah. And with comedians, I gotta take everything with a grain of salt. With people in regular life, I've always been someone who someone shows they're a piece of shit, I don't deal with it anymore. It's done. But a comedian, it's like it's, they're one of us. You know what I mean? I, yeah, it's a piece of shit, but he's it funny. depends he's what funny. level. <laughs> it depends what level of piece of shit. There's some stuff that I'll be like, fuck this person, yeah. unforgivable. But you're right, I'm I'm more forgiving okay, towards I, comedians. I have something. Yeah. Sebastian Borgo. Oh yeah. Okay. He's in uh, Vancouver now. He did something to me that a lot of people got mad at and told me that I should have been mad at him. What did he do to you? I did his podcast. Okay. And he asked me about the Comedy Nest and if I'm putting in uh, work to try and become a regular there. And I said, no. Said okay, yeah. uh, it wasn't worth my time because I don't see myself being a regular there. So I'm putting my time into other places where I can get stage time. What's wrong with that? He said, no, you have to go to this club. You're in this city. You're not working with the club in your city. You're going to go to other cities and no one will respect you. That's not true. I was like, if I go up in other cities and I kill, they'll be fine with me. Yeah. So this ended up going into a 10-minute conversation about the nest. And I get a little excited sometimes. And I said some shit about the nest that I feel that I maybe shouldn't have said online, you know? Like? Like the fact that I don't like the club. I just don't like it, man. When I first went there, I got into comedy from all the comedy store comedians. Okay. Saw what the comedy store was. Getting to the nest and seeing the like limitations they put on comedians and the well, vibe in there. Limitations. Yeah, man. When you showcase at the nest, if you talk to someone in the crowd, they won't pass you, even if you kill. Okay, I'll say one thing. I don't know how it is now. Yeah. When I showcased for David. Yeah. David doesn't show up anymore for sure. Okay, showcases. I'm just okay. Okay, that's why. Because not only did he not put any rules for me, I didn't even know who he was. I reached out via Twitter. Like I never, I knew who he was, but we never met. And he had heard about me going to his club, and I go, "Look, man, I don't know if you ever you're in town. I'd like to showcase for you." And it's like I'm in town X week. Come, I'll see you. It was a Thursday night. I'll showcase a few people. See if you. And he didn't. What he did was the way he would sh showcase you. Uh, he would have a couple of comedians on. It was Thursdays or Wednesdays, whenever he wanted. And there was a lot of people in the audience. And what he would do is. One person is showcasing, the next is not. So as soon as you get off stage, he'll meet you in the back while the next person's on, tell you what you need to do to nice. get better. And then by the time he's back, the next showcase person would be on. So he would keep doing that. So I, sick. Went, I went on. No, you can't talk about this. I talk, you know, the shit yeah. I talk about. I get off stage, he goes, come in the back. He tells me what you just did right now. He goes, can you do the same thing on Saturday? 
I was like, hey, he's like, all right, uh, you're hired. It's going to be your first week. I like, get the fuck out of here. Amazing. That yeah. was his feedback. Like, that is great. But David's not there anymore. Okay, from so what I, I see, from yeah, what yeah, I see, okay, I don't yeah. know. I don't no, know. That's why I'm telling him, like, the actual guy behind it, like yeah. David, for example, he doesn't pull limitations. He just cares yeah. if you're funny. And like, okay, <laughs> this, I don't know David. And I actually like David because I watched him when I was a kid. on Mystery Hunters. Yeah, exactly, yeah. bro. But the amount of times on the podcast on Sebastian, but I was like, bro, the owner's a magician. The amount of times that I said that. He is. Magicians were supposed to hate each other. You know what he's I mean? He's also a comedian. Though. Yeah, I know. So he's a hybrid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so basically, I was just saying that it's just, you know, and uh, it was the first clip he ever posted from his podcast. Oh, fuck. He clipped that 10 minute thing and he put up Josh Shapiro, colon, quotes, I don't respect the comedy nest, end quote. Yeah, he did do something similar <laughs> to me once. I remember, yeah. And then uh, I did Jofo <laughs> last week. And yeah. they were like, bro, you must be so... I was like, no. Oh, who gives a shit? He's a funny guy. He posted a clip because he, he hates the Nets too. He just wouldn't say it on the podcast. He's been banned from the Nets for years. Yeah, he's banned him. He just wouldn't yeah. say it on the podcast. Yeah. And at the end of the podcast, I was like, why didn't you say you were banned? He was like, oh, why don't you bring it up, buddy? <laughs> you fucking guy, man. Yeah, he's funny too. He has his own thing. No, he uh, he did... I think he did the same thing to me one time because Egg gave me on about... He basically wanted me to talk shit about Rogan or something like that. So he does... But I, you know, you, just like you, I don't give a fuck. Like, no, because uh, he's so fucking funny that I give him a pass because he's funny. Now, am I going to go into business with this guy? Probably not, you know? <laughs> but like, he's so I watched this guy go bullet at shitty open mics just because he was trying to grind for his other shows yeah. for about a year. And this man just destroyed every single room. He'd come up to me with a new premise and, you know, in his fucking stupid French head, I couldn't understand what his premise was. He He'd does, go up on stage and destroy. He does work hard. So hard. He does work hard. Yeah, he's uh, he's in Vancouver. I don't know if he's still in Vancouver, but last time I saw he was in Vancouver. Hopefully he, he makes it. it just Sadly, he deleted everyone from Montreal on Facebook. I don't think I ever... I, I'm never on my actual Facebook, so yeah. if he deleted me, I wouldn't know. The only reason I have Facebook now is Montreal comedy. It's oh, I, I left way to get the anything. group. Yeah. I left it a long time ago because uh, it was just like... There was a certain point where it was every week someone was posting... Don't do this person's podcast. Don't do this. This guy is a rape. This guy. I was like, it was all drama yeah. of people fighting each other. And I go, what the fuck is this shit? So I just, no. I took myself out. Like, I don't want to be part of this. Yeah. No, that that was insane when they said, when they came after Jofo, when those guys first started. They came after Jofo. They came, yeah. And then when I saw the reasoning behind it, I was like, uh, this seems exaggerated. And yeah. then, but it wasn't just them. There was other, it was always fights, people fighting each other. And I go, what the fuck is this? Then I'm not part of this scene if that's the way it is. Yeah. And I, I like It's just for me, that's the only way I get gigs, you know? Okay. There's Sid now and Sid, I'm very close to Sid, you know, Sid's my partner on the third floor, like 100% him and I are fully partners there. Um, he's been giving me spots since I started, but to find out about anything else, I got it for me I got it for, as an open micer, I got to be on Facebook. The only reason why I left that group again was because of all the drama, like, like yeah. fuck, this has nothing to do with what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm here for gigs or, you know, somebody's help or something, not to fuck this guy, don't do his show because I don't like him. It's like, okay, th what is this? Yeah. This is no longer a comedian group, you know? So that's why I left. But Sid, Sid's good people. I'm friends with Sid and with his brother. I'm friends with Sammy. Like I like, yeah. I like the family. Well, I don't know Sammy. I've seen him a couple times at Sid shows. Yeah, he's a good dude. Too. But yeah, from what I've seen with him, uh, the like him having comedians open for him and shit, and the way he treats them, so good. Like they, just one of the best guys. Sammy's another one of those guys that you look at work ethic wise. The fucking guy had to grind. Again, people forget. They're like, oh, Sammy's big. This and that. You think someone gave him that shit? No. He said no to a lot of shit that other people would have said yes to. Uh, in the beginning, if he wasn't being put over somewhere, he'd grind, get his own fan base, and then show off. Be like, I just did that myself. Yeah, insane. Fuck you, what do you have to offer me? So he's one, uh, uh, just like Louis J. Gomez, another one of those guys that you look at, and if you don't respect the grind, you're in the wrong business. Yeah. Because 
he's they're the type of people that you wouldn't want to give him something. So they're like, you know what? I'm going to build it myself. I'm going to take it myself. Yeah. And right now, the way the industry is, if you're not willing to do that, most the chances are you won't make it. Yeah. Well, I mean, after the pandemic, when he was coming to the mics just to work out his new material, he'd literally come up on stage, do 45 minutes with a stack of yellow papers and go through everything. Yeah, just try to say, okay, what's sticking? What can I use in the new hour? I remember he was telling me, because I did, he had brought me uh, to do his, um, when he was coming back, there was a, he was at the terminal and he was doing, uh, I think it was bilingual shows, just to try shit out, just to start. And he had, he's like, yo, you want to come open? I was like, yeah, for sure. And I did like a whole weekend. I th- he showed up too. And it was a lot of that. It was a lot of, okay, can I go this route with them? Can I, how are people thinking now? What if I, and he, every night he'd be just tweaking and testing and be like, mm, I don't think I was hard enough. I think, I, okay, that's too much. Yeah. I got to do this. And he's just like a little scientist. And all shit that he was writing during his time off, just like, okay, what's going to work? Again, grinding, working. You can't not respect that. No, it's, that's just what needs to be done. And it's so crazy that so few people do it. When he started, I had, man, I've heard so many stories about him. Like, uh, and even from him, but I know, like, when he started, people would get mad at him because he would sell out, let's say, like, the comedy works. Mm-hmm. He'd grind, basically rent the room, go out, dude, hustle, get his flyers on cars, because he was a club promoter, I think, at first. So he had that yeah. those skills. Get people to come out, sell out the room, have fun, sell, and then comedy's like, well, of course, he sold it out himself. He's, he, you know, it was his show or whatever. It's like, yeah, okay. So it, it's so easy. Why don't you do it? Yeah. Uh, no one else was doing it. They were complaining. They were. If it's so easy to get people to come out, why aren't you doing it? Mm-hmm. You know. So they, a lot of people would talk shit because he was putting in so much work. And then you know when he exploded, when he, uh, it was all up to him. He's the one who made it happen. No one gave him shit. Well, so from what Sid told me is that basically he saved up his money from each gig, and he would put it into the next gig if he needed to do promotion or book a room or whatever. Yep. And then eventually he was doing so well that he had enough to take Olympia. And he booked Olympia, sold it out, and yeah. never looked back. Never looked back. And it's just like it's, you know. He bet on himself. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's there's so few people that will do that. It's insane, you know. Um, and just the, the, the fact that he's going to continue writing after a show. You know what I mean? That, that, that's something with ABBA that uh, ABBA did once. We're all at Peroni. Everyone's having a good time, you know. And I was like, uh, like we're all hanging out. With, ABBA's like, I got to go home. And I was like, oh, you're leaving? He's like, yeah. He's like, I got to go listen to my set and fucking edit that shit. And it's like, that's sick. That that night, he's like, I got to go right now. It's fresh, you know? Yeah, but and you that's see you Abba's work ethic? Yeah. Look at the channel. Look at the YouTube channel. <laughs> Insane, bro. Insane. Bro, because, <sighs> but these are guys that you that comedians should, like in the city, these are the type of idols they should have. These are the people they should look up. And I don't mean idols in the shitty way. I mean idols in the, look, look at what happens when you put in the work. It's all possible. A channel, it's an English channel from Montreal. That's a million something subscribers or whatever. It's not supposed to happen, right? On paper. No, no, no. at all. Just two guys chilling from Montreal, just fucking talking online. Growing up in Montreal, I don't know if you had the same feeling when you were a kid. I felt like we weren't in a city because I'd watch all these shows from the States and yeah, it New felt York. different. It felt like we were in a fucking you know, middle of nowhere, even though we're literally in one of the biggest cities in the world, you know? And I feel like now I need to be able to make it for Montreal because if I can't be, I don't necessarily need to be the big fish, but if I can't be, you know, big fish, small pond, what am I going to do? Big pond. But a lot of it is going to be mental and you'll never see it happen. No. Like I don't even, I don't think I'm, I'm one of the big fishes in the pond, but I know from talking to people, they assume that I'm one of the big fishes in the pond, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not even, 
I'm not even thinking about the pond. Like, I'm just doing my own thing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm swimming. 100%. I'm not even thinking of where I am. So you don't see it. So what's going to happen is you're going to become a bigger and bigger fish. You won't notice it. You won't. Because if you, your goal is to become the big fish, you never become the big fish. True. But you start doing this. Fucking Sammy. He started doing so well. You think Sammy sits there and he's like, I'm a big fish. No. I'm like, give a fuck. Yeah. You like, know what? That's that, the, the new Chappelle special. A lot of different comics about it. The one thing that I really, there were a few things I didn't like, but the one thing that I really, he said that he was the goat. I really didn't like that. Did he? Yeah. So I'm the goat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Paulie said sarcastic. I don't remember. <laughs> he, it, it was almost like, it was, it was like not sarcastic. It was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> but know? if anybody could say it, it's him. <laughs> of course. And uh, I believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. fine. But it's just, I don't want to hear him say he's yeah, the goat. I, get I can't. It, yeah. he, like, imagine hearing Louis be like, oh, I'm the goat. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, that ruins funny. all of it. You know? That's the whole weird. thing, with, you got to believe that he believes he's a piece of shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. I don't. I, maybe he said something. Like, yeah, I agree. I, I believe that you. If you're saying it, he probably said it. I wonder how he said it. I'm thinking. Um, and I just, I'll, I'll be honest. This special, I love Chappelle so it, much. Well, I know it wasn't the strongest. It I was looking for a fun special, and it was a more serious special. Yeah. But he's such a talented comedian that even a serious thing, he'll make funny. It's fine, you know. But for me, I wanted fucking a nice fucking, you know. It's also not that easy when. Look, I find it now with these deals and you have four specials in this. It's not like a used like I remember Kevin Hart coming out with every year. It doesn't get it's not as funny. Cuz most of your funny shit you work on for a while. Yeah. You work on for a while and you tweak it. It could be years and like oh this is good. Now that everything is like every year every year. Not everyone could do it every year. Like no. Louis CK was great at that. Not everyone can have a uh, the same quality special. It's just the way it is. Stuff isn't worked out as well. It comes out the wrong time. It, it's not as easy. Yeah. So the expectation that, oh, Chappelle, it was, because a lot of people said it wasn't as funny as it, they're not going to be equal. Well, so, okay. So in this series of specials he released, there was the one where he released the two, Birds of Revelation, whatever, and then uh, Sticks and Stones. Yeah. Um, those, there was material in all three of those specials from a three-hour set he did uh, in like 20. 13 or 2012. Okay. You know, I, me, Chappelle, one night, fucking 4 a.m., stoned out of my mind, just watched this three-hour fucking Chappelle thing. Jokes that he was working out there in 2013. He did in fucking 2019 on his special. Because then for him, they were good. They were it, ready. It's never finished. Yeah. It's ne I'm doing, I still, I have a joke that's my first joke that I still do. And I still change it. And there's others that you don't do anymore. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Back to the comedy nest. Uh, one of the first things. I'm, I'm a storyteller as well. Good. I have to tell stories. Uh, I'll build a joke from telling a story yeah, sometimes, yeah. you know? Uh, and I had this stupid story of how I, I, I'm 24 and I look like I'm fucking 40. And that's, you know, my first joke. And then the story is that when I take care of my little sister, she's 10 years old. At the time, she was like eight. I look like I'm her father. Yeah. So when I'm trying to deal with her, she's my sister. I'll yell at her or whatever. I'm not dealing with her like a father would deal with her. So the joke was that I was panicking and she's freaking out. I'm in public and I slap her. Okay. Okay. And obviously the crowd, I slap a little kid. The crowd goes, whatever. And then I let the awkward moment stay. And then I go, oh, she said I hit like a bitch. Stupid, easy joke for an open micer to just start yeah, out yeah. with. The guy who was uh, working that night at the nest comes up to me and he goes, hey, if you're going to hit a kid on stage, you better have a joke. And then he just walks away from me. That's a bit weird. I remember they laughed. Yeah. Like, What's wrong with you? They laughed at me. I was like, I saw them upset. And then I saw them happy. I'm not a crit. You know what I mean? And now they're showcasing a lot more people because there's a lack of outside comedians from the city. So they need more comedians from the city. Yeah. And what I told you is what I've been hearing from everyone is that they're telling people, don't talk to the crowd. Don't do this. Don't do that. Who's they though? If it's not David, who's passing Udomsky. on people. I haven't seen Peter in the longest time. No, when they went to showcase, that's what they told me. That it was Radomsky, okay. and that's what he said. Um, 
Yeah. I, mean, I don't know about any of this. Yeah. But then again, it's the other thing that, that I have the luxury of is that I'm a little bit outside because I'm always doing my thing and then coming in to do my shows and then leaving and all that. So I miss a lot of the nuance. So like I'll, I'll go do a set somewhere. I'll go do your show. Let's say I'll talk to people backstage and I'll hear shit that I was yeah. unaware. Like people will inform me of the local gossip and, and I was like, how the fuck did I not know about but this? But it's an amazing thing that you stay away from it because then you get to enjoy everything. Yeah, well, I, I want to stay with, first of all, I, it's because I don't like the drama in it. No, I it's hate the worst. that fucking shit. Yeah. I don't want to go in, I don't want to go to a show and then one of the people there I don't like because he said this and I don't give a fuck, say whatever mm -hmm. the fuck you want. I don't want to know. Mm -hmm. Say whatever the fuck you want, let's just have fun. We're, We're not right going to go fucking have dinner together, but fucking I'll be around you. It's fine. Yeah, let's just have fun. I don't want to hear that you fought with this guy and then yeah. how do I feel about it? Do I like that guy more than this guy? It's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. And also they're fighting always about nonsense. Mm-hmm. This joke you shouldn't have said because I thought you can't tell another comic <laughs> yeah. don't say don't tell a joke. Oh, that was the worst thing I ever saw. You Grumpy's. can't do that. I saw a guy go up a Grumpy's good comedian uh, tried out some new jokes, but the jokes were about uh, beating women. Okay, but it was a good joke. It was a joke about how his his I, I don't like doing other people's jokes, but I have to do it for this. Okay, says the eye heals. He talks about laser eye surgery and how yeah. quick the eye heals. You know, the eye heals that quick. What's the problem with domestic abuse? <laughs> Decent joke. It's <laughs> yeah. a good joke. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. The host gets up on stage after and goes, that was disgusting. We have four people here. Two of them are women and you just isolated half the crowd. Isolated? Okay. Like, You're hosting this fucking comedy show. What's wrong with you? So the host, that's the, as com that host is not a comic. That's no. disgusting behavior if you're a comic. You don't do that. You don't throw someone on the bus because you, now you're, you're not operating under assumption. Now you're going up there and you're telling people that what the comedian just said was not humor. Yeah. He was laying out his plans for life and how he feels about women, <laughs> which is not true, which is not true. Our goal is always to make people laugh. So you're saying that that comic, you're making the assumption that that comic is beating women up or wants to be, you know, that's not what he's doing there. He's not there. He's there to joke. Yeah. He's there to, so that kind of shit, I don't like that kind of shit. That, that whole holier than now, let yeah. me show them. It's not going to make you funnier. It's not going to give you any opportunity. If anything, real comics just x you out right there. Oh, 1,000%. If I saw yeah. that, I'd be like, yeah, that guy's done. The, the beating fucking in the face joke, that one I could accept. Exactly. You go in there and throwing him under the fucking oh, bus. Oh, you know the worst part? Mm. I went up to the comic and I was like, bro, don't listen to him. That was a good joke. And he goes, no, he's right. He goes, it was too much. I need to think about what I'm doing on stage. And I was like, bro, please. Uh, and uh, I swear, he never came back from that day. I promise you. His material was not the same after that. He would go into lighter material, start talking about family, blah, 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 and not say what he wanted to say, you know? I believe you got to say what you want to fucking say. You got to say what you want to fucking say because our goal is to be funny. Yeah, it's it's all this stupidity. It's the pe like they were talking about, like with 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 uh, Chappelle. If you make fun of trans, it's violence against trans. It's guys, we have to stop this nonsense because it's the same equivalent of saying the Sopranos. You're watching a murder and you're rooting for the bad guy that you're gonna go out and commit a murder. Yeah, I've watched every episode of the Sopranos. I've watched countless horror movies. I have never once said I'm gonna go and murder someone. Yeah, it's never happened. I take it for what it's for. This is to to scare me. This is action. This I th this is comedy. It's for me to laugh. I've never taken any of this as a call to violence. Yeah. It's absurd to say that. So for a comedian to go on stage and you know that he's a comedian, yeah. his goal is to make you laugh. Sometimes we don't hit. Sometimes it's too hard. It's too. There are many reasons why I won't hit, but the intention is never. To make you think that breaking your wife is, is good. Yeah, that was, that's what was beautiful of Skankfest. Most gay F words I've ever heard. Yeah, but everybody bro, knows, bro. It, no, they're real that, comedy fans. So uh, they had one room at Skankfest that was open from noon until 2 a.m. every day. And it was stand-up comedy nonstop. Oh, shit. No host. 10-minute sets. One after the other. Comedian brings up the next comedian. 
it was the craziest like stand-up comedy experience I've ever seen. You know, because the festival wasn't really stand-up comedy. So for me, just to get a little stoned, get a little drunk, and just go that. sit in there for fucking three hours and get to see fucking all these new comedians, you know? I got everyone who I love. I went up to them. I was like, give me your Instagram. Give me something, you know? You're ever coming to Canada, please come to Montreal, you know? Yeah. We got to get guys like this coming to the city. Guys that are real-ass fucking comedians yeah. to that nobody knows because nobody in Montreal is trying to get these people to come here, you know? Uh, actually, uh, well, just... Just, yeah, just wait, wait, wait. We're waiting for shit to open up again. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> that makes me very happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes me very, and it's all guys that you like. That's amazing. Yeah, we just need shit to open up again. Yeah. Why, everyone's going to Toronto. Why can't they come to Montreal? You know? The Nest kind of sucks <laughs> for them. Well, for them. The, the, the Nest, what sucks about the Nest is that it's um, it's the only club now, and every time it tries to open up, they shut it back down for two. You know how hard it is to run a fucking business? Terrible. Dude, so the, they try to open up. They try to book people. No, you can't have this person in this city. They can't fly here. This vaccine passes. Shut it down. Reopen. Shut it down. How long do you think that could, that could last? Yeah. No, but all business, right now, it's just ruining everything, you yeah. know? And it's crazy that there's more people in the States, more cases in the States, and they can just live life, and they're open, and we're locked down, you know? But here, we're, we're not doing the right things. We're not putting the money in the right place. We're, we're focusing on dividing and scaring people yeah. instead of putting money in healthcare and... It, this is a that's a conversation for something else completely. Someone I work with, so waitress. Stupid. She's yeah. a waitress. She makes good money as a waitress. Uh, she just got her first unemployment for two weeks. She had three hundred eighty-one dollars for two weeks. You we, cannot live. We had that discussion because they had told me now that it, they go to me. Hey, you know, because they closed the bars, you can't do your shows anymore. You're entitled to money from the government. So I went to look at it, and he did too. The government was willing to give me two hundred ninety-seven dollars a week. I said, you know, I didn't lose just. $297 in a week of canceling my fucking shows. How the fuck is someone going to live with two, whatever, 270 after taxes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here, man. That's crazy. It's ridiculous, you know? Sir, made sense, you know? Two grand a month for people. Most people, You have people, your bare minimum. Good, you know? Yeah. yeah. But fucking, dude, $1,200 a month. <laughs> what are you going to... You know, most people can't pay rent. Yeah. $1,200 a My rent month. is more than that. Yeah, yeah. It's just what it is, and it's fucked here. We're all, you know? Well, look, on a, to end this on a fucking high note, yes. I have in the description your Twitch link. Is there any, your Instagram? Where else do you want people to follow you? Twitter? Yeah, Twitter. Twitter. Come follow Good. me on Twitter. I post when I go live on Twitter. That's the best. You guys ever come pop in uh, on the stream? First person to pop in on the stream that says you came from the show, I'll make you a VIP. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Tell Boom. fucking Josh that Boom. you came from the Panthelis podcast. You're going to get VIP treatment on his Twitch stream. Uh, so follow Josh once stuff in Montreal gets open again. Um, make sure you follow him so he could keep you up to date on the shows he's doing at the third floor over there at Stogie's. I've done the show there. A lot of fun. Great little room and they're renovating it so it's going to feel like an actual fucking comedy club. It already felt nice. I like the bar in the back and that little area and the, how it was. It was fucking sick. So uh, follow Josh. Support him. Let him know that you came from here and uh, go fuck yourselves. Thank you very much for having me. Great Thank fucking you, time. Thank you, bro. Insecurities crawl under my skin. This whole
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.